Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Amen, amen. To be what he sees. Last week we were looking together at what makes a prayer powerful and we were saying that there is this combination of qualities and one of them is a faithfulness that uh, essentially as we break it down is a righteousness that uh, God gives us when we come to faith in Christ and uh, that he sees in us as we come to faith in Christ. It is a righteousness that he sees in us that we begin to live seeking to, uh, uh, to be in reality in every area of our lives. We seek to be what he sees in us in Christ. And so we're, uh, on, we're making our way through this portion of the series. It talks about what makes prayer actually powerful, or, or as we put it, what makes prayer work that works? What makes prayer work that works? We, uh, we've said a couple of things thus far, and I want us to, uh, to catch up in that way. Once we're convinced that prayer has power, uh, there are two things we always want to know, and that is how does the prayer that works work, and how does prayer become powerful? And uh, we've seen that behind this question is another more important question, and that more important question is, what does God want in prayer? What does God want in prayer from us when we pray? Because the power of prayer depends on the power of God, we need to know what God expects of us as we pray. Now, to find uh, the answer, God's answer to these questions, we've been spending some time in James, James chapter 5, beginning of verse 13, and I want to invite you to go back with me there again today. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, which you'll find on page 1013 in the worship Bible provided for you uh, in front, in the, the bottom of the chair in front of you. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. And so in our passage for this weekend, the author gives directions for prayer and praying. And as he does, he says this, beginning at verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Let him sing praise to God. Let him sing prayers of praise to God. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Remember, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So today, I want to speak to you about the practice of prayer and specifically about the practice of powerful, effective prayer, particularly as it comes through prayers of faith. There are two things that uh, move the heart and the hands of God, and they are the prayers of the faithful who are praying prayers of faith. Prayer becomes powerful, we've said, when it is made 
by faithful people who are full of faith. And so to the question, what does God want in prayer, we answered last week and said, what God wants is faith and faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness. And we took the time last week to explore faithfulness or righteousness as one condition of powerful prayer. Today we want to look together more closely at the second condition of powerful prayer, and that is faith, asking why it is that prayers of faith are effective, and then secondly, how our prayers can be those kinds of prayers. So we want to begin this morning by focusing on James 5, verses 14 and 15, which, in which James speaks of prayers of faith. And then I want to take you, we're going to take a, a trip to Matthew 21, and Jesus teaching on prayer and, and teaching on faith found there. But first, I want you to notice with me that in verses 14 and 15, James directly mentions a prayer of faith as having power with God, where he says, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And this is the kind of prayer that God is seeking. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This reference to the prayer of faith, as we noted last week, has been both a great blessing and a great burden to a lot of people who are followers of Jesus. So I want us to look carefully at this, and I want to address the issue and, and the question of, of many of you who, like me, have had someone that you dearly loved, someone that you prayed uh, fervently for, who passed away anyway, who did not receive healing. I want to address that with you this morning, and I want to fix our focus at the same time on this, this appeal of the Scripture here for prayers that are not just made by faithful people, but prayers that are full of something called faith. So let's unpack this and see what James is doing and what he's not doing here. First, I want you to notice with me that what James is doing here is he's affirming the power of prayer when it is accompanied by faith, using sickness and the prayers of elders as an example. This is an example. The word James uses here in the original language for prayer is an unusual word in the original language, and it refers to a strong, fervent petition, a strong, fervent petition. But the fervency and the frequency of this kind of praying is not what makes it powerful. It is the kind of fervent prayer that it is. It is a fervent prayer offered in faith. And it's that kind of prayer that is effective and invites the power of God into a situation like sickness over which we have little or no control. Indeed, faith energizes prayer. And this faith, if we, we uh, could define it, let's do that right now. This faith is essentially a wholehearted, unwavering commitment to God. If you're taking notes, write that down. Faith is a wholehearted, unwavering commitment to God. James says here that a good reason for prayer in tough situations is that it brings results from God And prayers offered with this kind of faith for sickness bring, he says, quite 
frankly, a saving or a rescue from sickness and healing and a raising or a restoration to vigor. So James places, and this is powerful, no condition or qualifications on this. He says the prayer of faith will save and the prayer of faith will raise the sick up. And that's a great promise, but it drives us back again quickly to the question, what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen? Because for some of you, you will say, that is what happened to me. There's not a believer in this room that would deny that God has the power to heal the sick and raise them up to wellness. But many of us do have the question, what happens when God doesn't? Does it mean that, that uh, God has failed in this particular passage? Does it mean that uh, we can't quite trust him? Does it mean that there's a lack of faith on the part of the prayers? And, and if it does, how much faith is needed before it actually works? Are all kinds of questions that we typically ask. At the end of the day, everything rides on one word here in this passage, and that is the word faith. What, what, what it involves and what it includes as a wholehearted, unwavering commitment to God. This faith, and this is something I think that, that uh, we often miss, this faith that James speaks of here includes the confidence that God can rescue and raise up, but it also includes something else. And here's what I often see happening in uh, the lives of believers. They, they hear a passage like this, they, they believe a passage like this, and, and, they, and for all intents and purposes, many, many who are praying, they have someone who is ill, someone who is sick, they have a situation that is uh, something of a crisis, and they need God's intervention, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, as they're praying, what they are saying for many, many of them is, God, I I believe you can heal. My faith says you're a God that heals. I believe that with all of my heart. There are those who pray and who pray with that kind of faith. Now, let me just pause and say there are times for many of us who are followers of Jesus who, when we're in that kind of situation, particularly when there's someone very close to us, very dear to us, who is struggling, who is near death's door, uh, when, we're, when we're praying in, the, in that kind of situation, just, just to pause, there, there are others of us, and sometimes I think there are a lot of us uh, who, when we are, we're in that situation, we're praying, but if we were really, really honest, we're saying, God, I believe you can heal, but there's something in the back of our heart, something in the back of our minds going, but I'm not really sure. Anybody ever had that experience, just, just to be honest? I, anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. It's happened to me. I get that. You're going, all right, here I am. I'm in this situation. It's, it's time to pray. And, and I, I know what my mind says, but right now my heart's going, <clears throat> I mean, I see. I see all the tubes. I hear the monitors. I hear what the doctor has said, you know, and I'm going, well, uh, and I want to pray a bold prayer, and I might even voice a bold prayer, but I'm not feeling so very bold in my faith, in my heart. A lot of us have had that, that circumstance and that situation. And it's almost like you know, it's almost like you know that when that's going on, your prayer's not going very far. 
Have you ever had that sense as well? You're going, I'm praying this, but I know I'm not believing what I'm praying. (laughs) You know what I've learned to do in that situation? I've learned to back up, and I've learned that one of the most powerful prayers you can pray when your prayers are not powerful is this prayer instead. There you are in the ER, or there you are in the, in the hospital room, or there you are facing this situation or that. One of the most powerful prayers you can pray, instead of praying, Lord, heal, instead of praying, Lord, intervene, the most powerful prayer in, the, in that kind of situation that you can pray is this prayer. It's a very simple prayer, but one of the most powerful prayers you can ever pray in that kind of situation. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Because I realize right here, right now, I know what I want to ask for. And I think I know what is needed. And I want to lay it out there, but before I can really lay it out there in faith, I'm going to have to have help with my faithing. I'm going to have to have help with my believing. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I've learned that until I can pray that and pray that through... And until I can pray that with real sincerity and until I begin to see God move in growing my faith, then I'm really not accomplishing anything in prayer by voicing something my heart isn't convinced of. Does that make sense? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Which is a good case in point for staying always prayed up and staying always leaning into faith at all ages and stages of your life so that when those ER times do come, when you are in ICU, you're actually already there and don't have to pray the prayer before the prayer, if that makes sense. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. So genuine faith, when, when it's operating, has first, though, This component, and that component is, Lord, I believe that you can heal. I believe you can do that. And what I've seen is, while there are some of us that have that issue there, there are others of us who genuinely believe that, and we've prayed that, and yet and still we haven't seen God answer, and it knocks us sideways, and we're going, but God, I I believed. I, I had faith, and what's happened, though, is that we've missed the fact that faith actually has two key components to it, Two key qualities to it that God is looking for as we pray. Does he want to know that we believe that he can? And the answer is yes. We we must believe. If we don't believe that he can, then we're wasting his time and we're wasting our own. But there's a second element to faith that, that is present. It also includes something else. Not just confidence that God can rescue and raise up, but it also includes the confidence that his knowledge and his will and his ways are perfect and thus, as a consequence, are best, especially for those who love him and are called to be his. I believe you can. I have confidence that you can heal. But this is a game changer. This is a game changer. Listen, at the same time I'm, I'm praying and saying, I believe you can, I'm also praying and I'm also saying, God, I believe that your knowledge, your will, and your ways are perfect and they are best. 
which is another way of saying, I trust you. Have you seen this before? Lord, here is all of me. Here is my need. You ever seen this before? This means yes. That means no. Have you seen this before? I trust you. Now, if you're new to the series, you've never seen this before, so don't, don't shake your head yes. You've never seen But others who have, they have. Here is my life. Here is my need. I trust you. I trust you. Now watch this. Don't miss this. You see, a genuine prayer of faith always involves an acknowledgement of some things. It always involves an acknowledgement that God knows more than we know, that God sees more than we see, that God cares more than we care, and God acts more than we realize, and therefore, when He takes us as partners with Him in the work He's doing in this world, and when He invites us to ask and make things happen... It requires believing that as we pray, our prayers will have an impact, but always in accordance with His will and His purpose. God, this is what I'm seeking. This is what I'm praying for. I'll, I'll never forget, obviously, that day in my life in August of 2006 when I'm with my father in the ER at Baptist Hospital. And we're praying And we'd been praying fervently, saying, God, will you? God, will you? Rescue, will you restore? We believe you can. But we also believe that you know more than we know. You see more than you than we see. We know that you care more than we care. You're already acting in ways that we can't understand. And God took him home. Here's my life. Here's my need. I trust you. The scripture is clear that it isn't always God's will that the sick be healed here and now. 
The great man of faith, Paul himself, lived with an illness, what he called a thorn in the flesh, that he prayed fervently that the Lord would take from him here and now, and the Lord didn't. And in his case, Paul realized that the Lord didn't because he had something else, something better for him and better for others. Paul was, was uh, one, of the, one of the lucky ones. Not all of us get to see that. Sometimes we do, but not always. When we've prayed fervently and God still says no, sometimes we get to see why, and then sometimes we're not going to understand why until the other side of things. We're not going to understand why until the other side of things. But I, I'm kind of looking forward to In fact, I'm not kind of. I'm really looking forward to that. Because there's coming a day when, when we will stand on the other side of things and we'll be able to see what God now sees and be able to understand why God has done some of the things that he's done that make absolutely no sense whatsoever to any, any man or woman who's healthy in mind or body. Makes absolutely no sense to us. One day it's going to make sense. We tend to forget that, that this God of the universe has 100 billion, billion, billion pieces to his plan, all of them interrelated, that as he works out his purposes and his plans, sometimes he allows certain things that make no sense to us to accomplish some things that are really good for us and good for the world down the road. I, I can't wait to the day to get to see because I, I have a feeling, all I know, I'm going to be going, okay, well, now that makes sense. I, get, I could not figure that. Wow, are you wise? You know, there's a you know, thousand years worth of praise. Whoa, I, whoa, my little brain could never have figured that one out. It was horrendous, but now I see the incredible goodness you brought out of something that was horrendous. It is amazing to me. Amazing to me. Now, in Paul's case, he has this thorn in the flesh. Scholars have tried and tried to discern what in the world that thorn in the flesh was. We don't know. It was, we just know something related to his body. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, I get it now. I prayed and I prayed. God never took it away, never took it away but now I get it now. What God's, the reason God didn't take it from me was, number one, because he wanted to keep me humble. God knew I had a pride issue. I'd had a pride issue for a long time. He was curing me of that. And it is as if God said, all right, Paul, I know you. I'm changing you. I'm working on you, but I know where you are weak. And you had pride to the nth degree, and I'm going to make sure that you don't have that problem again. I'm going to let you have this thorn in the flesh. I am not going to heal you because I want to keep you humble. If I can keep you humble, you will be an incredibly effective witness for me in a lost and broken world. And the pain that you're experiencing through your thorn in the flesh, I'm going to use to make you a blessing, not to hundreds, not to thousands, but to millions of people. But I've got to keep you humble. It's part of my greater plan. The other thing that Paul said that he learned from his illness was this. He said, he not only taught me humility, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So I had a good reason for not giving you the healing that you wanted. You, I wanted you to know. I wanted you to understand something about the way life works. And I didn't want you to forget it. And it works like this. When you are weak, then I am strong. And the good things that happen in this life and this world come when I'm strong and you're weak. They don't come when you're strong and I'm weak. Somebody say amen. All right. I can just imagine Paul going, Lord, I've got this, 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 this sickness. I've got this problem, and it's humiliating and it's, and to me. And if you would just set me free of this, there are all kinds of things that I could actually do. God, if you would just solve this for me, there are all kinds of things that I could actually do, that I could actually accomplish. There's so many. I could go so much farther if you would just deal with this for me. And God says, Paul, you're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. The issue is not what you can do for me. The issue is what I can do through you. I've got to keep you humble. So that I can work through you and make an extraordinary difference. So the answer to your prayer is no. And then ultimately one day... Yes, because there isn't any thorn in the flesh that lasts for an eternity. But when God does heal the sick, and he does often, it is in response, James is saying, to the person who stands in a deep faith relationship with God. That is ultimately his point. And that is why he says, call on the elders. And, the, and when there is a, a prayer of faith, when a person is healed as a result of prayer, it is because someone has cried out with a deep faith and a deep faith relationship with God. Have you ever noticed how this works? You already know this. In fact, I might be wasting your time if you think about it just for a minute. Because when you've got a real crisis on your hands, you, you're, you're glad for everybody possible to pray, Right? You want people to know, you want people to pray. That's very natural. But have you ever thought about it? Have you ever noticed while you're glad for everybody to pray, there's always one or two that you really want to pray? Have you ever noticed that? And you're going, oh, yeah, 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 put us on the prayer list and all that. But I, I really need, I really need so-and-so. Can, can you reach out and tell so-and-so? Just tell them. We've got a few of those in our church. If anything, anything goes sideways, be sure I won't even name them. But a lot of you know who I'm talking about. Be sure that one knows. Why? Because we know that the prayers that move the heart and the hands of God are those that are made by those who are both faithful and righteous, but also those who have a deep faith relationship with God. So let them know. That's what we say. I'm glad for you to pray. I'm glad, yeah, that's, that's good. That's really good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But, but, but would you be sure? So what James is saying ultimately with this example is not that every prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, but rather that this is the kind of prayer that God responds to to heal the sick when the sick are healed. 
The idea is not that every prayer of faith brings healing, but rather that when a person is healed and that person has been prayed for, it is this kind of prayer that God responds to. So James is touching again on the importance of faith in prayer, something he does in the opening of his letter where he says in 1.6 that the believer who asks God for wisdom must believe and not doubt. But moving on, it's important for all of us to see that using this illustration of sickness, James teaches us a broader principle that Jesus also taught, and that is prayers of faith have power with God that no other kinds of prayers have. And to better understand that, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me now to Matthew 21. And we want to look at verses 20, 21, and 22, found on page 826 in your worship Bibles. We, we want to understand why prayers of faith are effective and then how these kinds of prayers can be our kinds of prayers. How can we pray this way? Matthew chapter 21, verses 20 to 22. Here we find Jesus in his last days before the cross. He's returning with his disciples to Jerusalem after spending some time uh, that night in the village of Bethany. And along the way, he and his disciples approach a fig tree along the side of the road. You may know this story. Seeing that it has leaves, which normally means that there are figs on it, he goes to it to find a little breakfast. He just wants a little breakfast. The problem is that, it is that this leafy tree, this tree that has all of these leaves that should be loaded with fruit, has no fruit. I'll never forget the first time I read this passage. I, I went, aha, I caught you, Jesus. This is awful. Watch what he does. Watch what he does. Watch what he does. Surprisingly, verse 19, Jesus says to the tree, may no fruit ever come from you again, and the fig tree withers at once. And we're all going, oh, that poor fig tree and that mean Jesus. I remember the first time I read that, I was thinking, I caught you. You're not perfect after all, because that's exactly what I would have done. I'm hungry. I'm needing some breakfast. I'll walk up to a tree, and it should be loaded with figs, and there's nothing there. Why? Why? I just said, yeah, Die, you lousy tree, die. Absolutely. But I thought, Jesus lost his temper there, didn't he? But over the years, I've gotten a little wiser and a little smarter. Jesus never does anything except he has a good reason for it. And what he's actually doing is he's actually teaching the disciples a lesson with this tree about what is about to happen. He's actually using this example to describe for them the condition of those who claim to be God's people, particularly in Jerusalem. They have all of the signs of religion. They have all the signs of faithfulness. They know to carry a Bible. They know how to carry their Bible. They know when to stand up, when to sit down. They know when to raise their hands in worship and when not to. They know when to clap and when not to. They've got all of the evidence. They've got all of that down. They've got Sunday morning down. But Monday morning is a whole different story. They've got all the leaves of religion, but they have none of the fruit of religion. And Jesus' message through this is God is going to judge those. There is a judgment coming for those who put on a good spiritual show but have no spiritual reality. They look healthy, smile at the right times, but their hearts 
are unholy. That's Jesus' point. The disciples, they see all of this, they're amazed, and and instead of asking why this happened, they ask how it happened. Jesus later explains the the fig tree, uses it as a parable for, for the judgment that's coming, but he graciously answers their question nonetheless, and as he does, he gives them a brief lesson on prayer and its power and how faith can take prayer and life to a whole new level of fruitfulness in contrast to Jerusalem's barrenness. Look at verses 20 to 22 and see with me how he teaches them three things. The necessity of faith in prayer, the enemy of faith in prayer, and the opportunities of faith in prayer. The necessity of faith in prayer, the enemy of faith in prayer, and the opportunity of faith in prayer. And I want to unpack those for you here because this is so critical to prayer lives that make a difference. First of all, see with me in verse 21, the necessity of faith in prayer. And Jesus answered them and said, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, or move, it will happen. It will move. Now, moving mountains was a common Jewish metaphor for overcoming great obstacles and for doing the impossible. And so Jesus' promise here is a remarkable promise of partnership with God in all that he's doing in the here and now. Jesus is saying that what the disciples have seen him do is nothing compared to the impossible things, watch now, that God will do through them and God will do with them if they have faith in him and partner with him in all that he's about in this world. Now we've seen how James uses the word faith. And it's important for us to pause and ask, what precisely does Jesus mean here when he says uh, that if you have faith and don't doubt, you'll be able to say move to the obstacles and to the impossible and see those obstacles move and the impossible done? What what does he mean when he uses that? And, And the answer is, it's essentially the same. This faith is a wholehearted, unwavering commitment to God. But what Jesus is doing here is he's highlighting this commitment as something that comes from an attitude, an attitude of confident trust in God, an attitude of confident reliance upon God. Indeed, the Bible shows us that faith can be understood as confidence in three things. Confidence in what God can do, confidence in what God will do, and confidence in what God will never do. Faith is first an attitude that brings a confidence in what God can do according to his power. It is that, that declaration and that, that confidence that says, God, I know that you can. I know that you can. That's very different from the second, which says, God, here's what I know that you will do. Sometimes we confuse what God can do with what God will do. They are not always the same. The first says, faith says, God, nothing is impossible for you. You can do anything. The second aspect of faith says, God, I also believe that you will do Watch now what your word has said you will do and what you have promised to do. Faith is a confidence in what God can do. He can do anything. Faith is also a confidence in what God will do according to his word and his promises. Faith is finally confidence in what God will never do. That because of his person, his promises, and his purposes, because they never change, because he is perfectly good, 
He never fails his children, and he will never do evil or ultimately let evil triumph. I know nothing is too difficult for you. I know your promises will not fail, and I know you will never do me ultimate uh, evil. You will always do for me ultimate good. You will never fail. You will never fail me. It doesn't matter what my eyes see or what it what seems to be happening or not happening in the present. Faith declares time and again, nothing's too hard for him. He's going to keep his promises and he will not fail. Amen. That is worth <laughs> applauding. Come back, third service. So this confident attitude creates a confident way of living and praying that rests on the conviction that when we seek God for something specific, even the removal of impossible mountains in our lives, we can be sure that God will act according to his power, according to his promises, according to his person revealed in the scripture, according to his purposes revealed in the scripture, and that God will never act contrary to who he is. And in doing so, he will bring his best to us in our impossible situations. Such powerful prayers come then out of a life that is lived in confident trust and surrender to God and his will. Put another way, prayers with power are anchored in an attitude that says, God, because I know you, I give all that I am to you. I give all that I'm facing to you. And I trust you. God, because I know you, I give all that I am to you. I give all that I'm facing to you because I trust you. Do you know what blesses me? Is that the scripture says God's response to that kind of prayer, prayer made with that kind of faith, is delight. Do you ever remember, can you remember, you probably can, a moment when you delighted your earthly father or when you delighted your earthly mother? Some of you, maybe you didn't have such a very good father and you can't remember that. Can you remember when you delighted somebody who was uh, important to you in your life, that mattered to you in your life? Do you remember? If you think back, you can remember a smile or a good word and how that just absolutely energized you. In fact, I, I can think of a few in my life that were just like, wow. And by the way, I want to say to every, how many fathers do we have in the room? How many fathers do we have in the room? One of the greatest gifts you can give to your children is give them the gift of your delight. Now, it needs to be something, you know, worthy of, of delight. But every chance you get, give them the gift of delight because nobody can give them that gift like you can, Dad. Now, I know with some kids at some stages, you have to work extra hard to find reasons to do it. 
I mean, it may come down to sun. I am so proud of you. I'm just, I'm excited. I'm pumped. You parked in the driveway for the first time after parking in the yard for the last 19. I'm so proud of you. It's great just to be able to see the yard again. You got all four wheels on the concrete. It was amazing. Now, could you move your car? I got to go to work. (laughs) What do you mean you can't find your keys? But that sure was great. I mean, you parked it all on the concrete, all four wheels, son. You're, you're, you're doing so good. Now go find your keys. The gift of delight. The scripture says, and I love this, Hebrews eleven six. that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But do you know what that means? It means with faith, it is impossible not to. We win the smile of God and have his delight when we pray those kinds of prayers. God delights in those kinds of prayers. The scripture says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, yes, and that he rewards, that he has good, does good for those who seek him. Confident faith is absolutely necessary because that kind of faith is what touches and moves the heart of God. And Jesus says, moves his hands to move our mountains, to move our obstacles, and to move our impossibilities. Notice with me, Jesus goes on to show the enemy of faith in verse 21b. And Jesus answered them saying, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not, what's the word there? Doubt. Doubt is an enemy that can neutralize faith's mountain moving capacity. If faith is confident trust and reliance, what is doubt? Well, doubt is not a complete absence of the attitude of faith, but rather an added attitude of uncertainty. When it's present, it makes faith unstable and prayer weak. It's that situation we just talked about a few minutes ago. God, I believe, help my unbelief. As we've seen, James in James 1 says, The one who doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The image of a double-minded man is one of a person who is incapable of steering a straight course in the midst of life's storms because they waver uh, from uncertainty about what to do. Believers who live this way, James says, have two minds. They have conflicted desires and conflicted wills. On the one hand, they want to trust God. On the other hand, they have trouble confidently trusting all of Him with all of them in the face of the problems that they see. And so they lack confidence or assurance in what God can do, will do, and will never do. Faith has to be without this doubting if there is to be power from God in life Faltering when it comes to trusting means that we can't expect help from Him and that we will not have the help from Him that we could have had. The enemy of powerful prayer is doubt, which, like sin, cuts us off from God's power. Do you see what that means? Do you see what that means? Let me show you what that means. Many, many times, as we're living our lives, we will face obstacles. 
we will face mountains that are greater than we are, larger than we can traverse, that are threatening, frightening. And for many of us, we've learned, finally, our own personal limits, and we go to God in prayer, and we begin to pray, and ask God to move that mountain, to remove that obstacle, to do, do what we cannot do. But we have a greater problem than the mountain in front of us. We actually have a mountain inside of us. That if that mountain isn't moved inside of us, the mountain beyond us will never be moved. And the mountain inside of us is a mountain of doubt. Our God is just too small. And some of us have been facing mountains, some of us have been facing obstacles, some of us have been struggling with this issue or that issue. We have been praying, and maybe we've been praying fervently, and maybe we've been saying, God, I believe, but the truth of the matter is, what our minds and our mouths are saying, our heart is not repeating. And the greatest challenge we face is not the impossible thing we see with our eyes, but it's a stubborn condition in our hearts. Our God is just too small. May I recommend that you get rid of that, God? May I recommend the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? May I recommend to you the God of the resurrection? Talk about the impossible made possible. I don't know what God you've been believing in, but until you fix your eyes on the God of the resurrection. There are a lot of mountains standing before you that will never get moved. If God can bring the dead to life and save, rescue an incorrigible, stubborn, hopeless sinner like Steve Kortz. What can he not do? for you. 
you need to get a new God. If your God can't handle your mountain. You can quote me on that, by the way. Oh, but you don't know how big my mountain is. Oh, please don't say that. I don't have time. God of the resurrection has no problem with your mountain. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, finally, see with me the opportunity of faith in prayer, verse 22. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus encourages his disciples to ask in a way that is limitless in terms of the possibilities that it opens up with the proviso, if you believe or have faith. So immediately he's saying when you pray, prayers of faith, they they exclude selfish requests and all kinds of of requests outside of of those that are, are within God's will, done God's way. But he shows that the presence of faith creates incredible opportunity for us and for God. For us, faith provides a threefold opportunity. Faith, first of all, gives us the opportunity to let go of the mountains we face and to let go of the burden of facing the impossible on our own. Faith is one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending upon ourselves. And so when I come by faith to God in Christ to overcome the greatest obstacle, the greatest mountain, the greatest separation that I've ever had, that separation from God, the fact of my sin, when I come to God to be saved, what I essentially say to him is, I give up. I will not depend on my own good works to save me or to make me righteous before you. I need you. I need Christ. I need his cross. I need your declaration that in him I'm no longer guilty in your eyes, but instead am forgiven and free of my past. And when I come to God by faith in prayer like that, I see him move the mountain of my spiritual condition and I am changed. And when any believer comes again to God by faith in prayer, when they're facing a mountain, they're facing an obstacle, an impossible situation, when they pray, In genuine faith, they are saying essentially the same thing. Lord, in the face of this mountain, I give up. I let go of this to you. I cannot depend on my resources to meet the challenge. This mountain is greater than I am, more than I can handle, and so I need you. And what I found is that when I finally get to that place in my impossible situation, there comes into my life something that the Bible describes as a peace that passes All understanding when the mountain before me becomes God's instead of mine, I find peace. It's your mountain. It's your mountain. Not my mountain. Your mountain. Faith, secondly, gives the opportunity not simply to let go of the mountains we face, but to look beyond them. Faith gives us the opportunity to get our eyes off of our problems and onto his person and his promises and his power. We don't have to be fixated on the the impossible like everyone else. If we are followers of Jesus, we can be fixed on the God for whom nothing is impossible. So faith lets us look up. It lets us give attention to him who is greater than what is facing us, and it gives us hope. It encourages us to watch and listen, to follow his lead and to join him in whatever he's doing in what we're facing rather than to fall into panic. 
gives me the opportunity to lift up my eyes and fix my eyes on Him. Faith gives us finally the opportunity to live free of the mountains we face. Confident faith in God gives freedom. It gives us on the one hand the freedom to ask for anything of God knowing that nothing is too difficult for Him. And it gives us the freedom to receive anything from God knowing that He chooses everything ultimately that is best for us and accomplishes His good plan. And knowing God and being persuaded that He is able and willing and eager to answer our faith in Him with His best means that we can be free to pray and seek Him and seek, see Him work to move every mountain that threatens us and threatens His kingdom work around us. Yeah, sometimes the mountain He moves is the mountain inside of us first, not the mountain before us. Sometimes His work is to change us for things rather than just changing things for us. But either way, faith gives us the opportunity to live free of the mountains we face. That not only gives and creates opportunities for us, but it ultimately creates opportunities for God. And it is right here that we see why God requires faith along with righteousness if prayer is to have power. Faith is the condition that God requires because He not only wants partners He can trust, but because he wants partners who will fully, confidently trust him. Faith is what ultimately gives God room to act in our lives. Faith gets me out of the way so that God can have his way. And for some of us in this room today, some of you, your biggest problem is not the mountain you're facing. Your biggest problem is your personal position vis-a-vis Almighty God. You are standing in His way. You say, but He's sovereign. Yes, He is, but He's also a sovereign gentleman. And God does not force Himself on His people. There are things for some of us that God wants to do, God is ready to do, but we keep getting in the way because we will not say, I trust you. Get out of his way. Get out of God's way. You can't move that mountain. Only He can. Get out of God's way. Give God room to be God in your life. When you do, the power begins to flow.
begins to change. Peace starts to settle in. And joy is the end result. What does God want of us in prayer? He wants a faith that lets go, a faith that looks up, a faith that lives free and gives him room to step in and move those mountains. Everybody with mountains, there's a podium. Everybody with mountains that need to be moved, stand to your feet. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.